Advent season, here we are, and we're, we're moving through, we're in the third week, three candles have been lit, and uh, we are, we're making our way through it. And as we've been saying in these weeks, Advent is really, it's practice, it's, um, it's rehearsal, it's dress rehearsal in a sense. I mean, this is, this is important practice, it's not just like, you know, preseason. I mean, this is, this is important time and important stuff. It's practice. In the short run, we're practicing and we're preparing our hearts and our minds for the celebration of Christmas. We kind of go through all of these weeks and all these days and light all these candles as we make our way towards Christmas Eve and towards Christmas Day when we'll celebrate uh, and remember the birth of Jesus and all that is coming has meant to the world and all that is coming means to our lives. And so we're practicing in a sense. In the long run, as we've been saying over these weeks, we're practicing as well, but now we're practicing for when Jesus will come again to this earth, when he'll make everything right, when he'll set everything in order. And we're learning to live in such a way, even right now, as we anticipate his coming, uh, and we're making sure that we're ready for him when he comes. But not only this, as we've been saying during these weeks, also during this time we, we practice for, in such a way maybe it's a little bit less dramatic. Maybe not as, as uh, 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 unusual, a little more common. For not only do we marvel at Christ's first coming and we wonder about his second coming, but we reflect on all the ways that Jesus comes to us even right now. Reflect on all the ways that he comes in his presence. And, and so we practice, and, and our challenge, our invitation has been during these weeks just to, to practice recognizing and affirming the ways in which God is present with us even here and even now. I, uh, I actually got the, the title for this series of messages from a little book written by a monk who lived back in the 1600s. A guy named, wasn't his real name, but it was his monk name, was Brother Lawrence. And maybe some of you have heard of him before. Really an, uh, uh, you know, not too glamorous figure. Um, a monk in France. And, but, and yet after his, his death, a collection of some of his writings and sayings was gathered, and the name of the book was simply Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence was this, this monk who had just made this conscious decision to, to try to, to recognize and affirm and celebrate the presence of God with him wherever he was and in the midst of whatever activity he was a part of. In fact, he became known as the patron saint of the kitchen because uh, Brother Lawrence, is one of his main jobs at the monastery was prepping the food and then washing the dishes and and he, he became famous, really, for his saying and speaking of, of, of celebrating and affirming and recognizing the presence of God with him while he was washing the pots and the pans. And uh, some of you who will be doing dishes later on today or uh, later on this week, maybe you'll remember Brother Lawrence and his affirmation of celebrating the presence of God with us in the midst of whatever we're doing, wherever we are. He said it like this, you need not cry very loud. God is nearer to us than we think. To be with God, there's no need to be continually in church, 
of our hearts, we may make a prayer chapel wherein to retire from time to time and with him to hold meek, humble, loving conversation. And this is the kind of practice that we're talking about, the kind of practice that we're trying to participate in in these weeks of Advent and to help us again. We've been looking at passages from the book of Isaiah. And uh, I'm going to have you turn with me again today to Isaiah chapter 35. These are poetic prophecies. And in, in as much as they are prophecy and, and poetry at the same time, uh, they're, they're not necessarily intended to speak to, uh, to our minds with information and with facts as much. There's some of that going on for sure, but not quite as much as they're intended to really speak to our hearts and speak to our souls and to affect us and impact us and touch us at the deepest levels of our beings. Um, they have been reminding us over these last couple of weeks as we looked at a couple passages from Isaiah that where there is despair and where there is devastation and where there is darkness, that is apparently where God does his best work. That is where he is most vividly and clearly seen to be on the move and on the scene and, and present. I read another writer this week who, in speaking about these prophetic texts and other portions of the Bible, he simply said, the Bible is relentless. Listen to this. The Bible is relentless in its conviction that nothing that is skewed and deathly need remain as it is. God's power, he said, and his passion converge. His power and his passion converge to make total newness possible. Nothing deathly, nothing skewed, need remain as it is, for God's power and his passion converge to make all things new. And I hope that speaks to your head at some level, but I really hope it speaks to your heart as well today. And through these weeks, as we're thinking about our current situation, where we are both individually and as a church and as a, as a world, that God is able and desires to speak something new into our lives. We've been reminded in these weeks of the newness that God has brought into reality through the person of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus and all, again, that he means to us and the new things that he's made possible and is continuing to make possible. And so today, another, another verse, another passage here in, in Isaiah 35 that speaks of this reality both now and for days to come. Would you stand with me? Let me read it to you. And again, listen and let the words and let the kind of the imagery and the, the feeling, really, of the words taken together speak not only to our heads, but to our hearts and to our souls. I'll read the whole chapter. We're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible today. You can, at the end of the day, you can say, I read a chapter in the Bible, because we did it right here together. I'm going to read 35, 1 through 10. At the end, I'll simply say the word of the Lord. You can say, thanks be to God. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. 
the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Nor, no lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good. You can be seated. So it was, it was during one of the, the fires of the last several years that... Uh, Many of you remember we had to meet elsewhere. Our, our, this area of town was closed off and we couldn't access the, the church building here. And uh, I, I came back after, um, you know, we'd watched the, the news those nights and days, wondering what was going on. And after the fire, everything was okay here. But one of the neighbors told me that the, for those entire two days, and especially at night, there, were, there was a, a big fire truck from... Los Angeles just parked right in our driveway, right in front of the, the church property, just kind of monitoring and watching and, and protecting and being there, ready to respond should any of the flames come our way. And we obviously were very thankful uh, that the, the fire didn't make it our way, but what a, what a comfort it was to know that there were some, some folks on the scene, right, some, some people who were <clears throat> who were present, who were, who were ready to respond should there be a need. And we knew about that, and then we came into the building, and we found in our kitchen uh, uh, a little $5 bill on the counter and a little note that said, thanks for the coffee, L-A-F-D. <laughs> and uh, so we were glad that we had somehow left a door open, or I think those firefighters know how to get in places <laughs> if they want to. If they need some coffee, they, they find a way. But, but, but that even brought home even more so for me, just thinking about, wow, they, they weren't even in our parking lot. They were in our building. I mean, they were, they were walking around in here and looking for, for things going on and, and just very much present in the midst of crisis, in the midst of urgency, in the midst of concern, and in the midst of need. Well, the affirmation of this portion of Scripture is that where there is fear, where there is brokenness, where there is vulnerability, where there is weariness, where there are people who are in great need, there God is also. There he is. He is present and active and decisive, and he is able to help, and he is able to strengthen, 
and he is able to heal, and he is able to save. Where there is crisis and concern, God is able to park himself right in the middle of that scene and bring rescue and bring hope and bring peace and bring life. Uh, uh, in, in fact, one of the middle verses of chapter 35, right, right here towards the center, not verse 5, but the one ahead of it, speaks powerfully <clears throat> of God's intention to be in the middle of, of our greatest times of crisis and concern. Look again with me and read it with me. Verse uh, 4 of chapter 35. Read it with me. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. The, the word, the phrase there, your God will come, is one that we just need to hear and let resonate and let kind of pour over our souls and over our hearts and our thinking, trusting and believing in this, this prophetic message of Isaiah that, that has rung true in Jesus and continues to ring true in our lives today. Your God will come. Your God does come. What an amazing promise. What a powerful uh, word to us this morning, a word of hope. We are not left to our own devices. We are not left to fend for ourselves. We are not left to try and figure things out the best that we can. <clears throat> Instead, there's a God who comes to do for us what we could never hope to do ourselves, to strengthen us in our weakness, to deliver us from our fear, to restore us, to restore our lives. There's some <clears throat> among us who may say, I am too, uh, he's too far away, I cannot reach him, I am too weak, and the answer is you do not have to reach to him. He comes to us. And he comes in a, in a couple ways. We, we're, we're thankful that, uh, that, again, never was the coming of God more powerfully attested to than when he came as a baby in the person of Jesus Christ. He, he interrupted human history. He took on human flesh. God had come in Jesus, and a new day of hope had dawned. A new possibility had emerged. And we believe that this coming of Jesus in, in, or this coming of God in Jesus was not only uh, for that one time, but that it was a, a powerful indicator of, of, of the character of God. That just as he came then, he'll continue to come. That, that the coming of, of Jesus again uh, helped remind us that, that God is one who keeps entering into our lives, who keeps knocking on the door, who keeps coming to heal and to save and restore. Uh, yeah, you know, that's water in my throat. Let me dry. Thank you. So we're, we're reminded that he comes, first of all, bringing transformation. <clears throat> the, uh, the, the first um, seven verses in particular just are, are, paint this amazing picture both in creation, in the, in the natural kind of order, and then in the, in the lives of, of humanity. This beautiful picture of the transformation, the transformative work 
of God as he comes. He comes to make all things new. I just wrote a few things. He comes to bring joy for the weary. And we can see that. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. <clears throat> he comes to bring hope for the fearful. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Strength, joy for the weary, hope for the fearful, healing for the hurting. And we see that, that those verses there, especially in verses 5 and 6, where he speaks of the eyes of the blind being open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The same verses or the same words in particular that we, we hear Jesus speaking in, in the New Testament when uh, John the Baptist and his followers came to say, are you the one? And Jesus said, well, are these things going on? And they said, yeah, they are. And he said, well, then I am the one. This transforming work of God as he comes. He, when we were in Costa Rica this summer, we got to visit the, the butterfly garden. And maybe, you know, they're just famous for the mariposas there in, in Costa Rica. And they ship them off all over the world. But, but we got to see, and they, they had made a big deal at this particular butterfly garden we went to about the, 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 the you know, the metamorphosis, the change that happens. And, and we not only got to look at beautiful butterflies, but we got to get a science lesson as well. And, and the whole process, we got to look at how the, the butterflies began and then they emerge. And, and this whole process of newness and transformation and becoming something that was not. And, and what a metaphor it truly is for, for us and the work that God does in his world, in his creation, and in his people. The ability, again, where there's skewedness and where things are deathly to bring about the possibility of something new. And we could speak about situations in our own lives. We could speak about places where we felt like we've come to the end of the rope, you know, the end of the line, and this is it. And, and I don't know where else to turn from here. And we heard that from, from Steve as he shared in that video. We think about how many years, he said, from the age of, uh, up to the age of, from 15 to 44 or so, 12 to 44, what was it, where he didn't really breathe a sober breath, and 15 years of incarceration. I mean, you didn't know this stuff about Steve. He's not here today to defend himself, so we're, uh, we're, we're he's, but, but you didn't know, and, and, and if you just knew him today, and you knew the work, and you could see the work that Jesus has done in his heart, you'd say, well, walked with the Lord for a long time, and now he has walked with the Lord for several years, but to, but to recognize the newness, the transformation that God has brought about through Jesus in Steve's life. And I, and I know this, the stories could be told multiplied even across this room here this morning. And, and even, uh, that's on the, kind of the grand scale, but many of us recognize the daily incidents, don't we? <clears throat> the daily incidents of, of recognizing, wow, I I'm in trouble here. I, I don't have enough money to get me through the end of the month. I, I'm in trouble here. My, my kids are beginning to act, bless you kids, but they're beginning to act in ways that I don't know what to do with them. Or kids, my parents, they're beginning to act in ways that I don't know what to do with them. Whatever, <clears throat> you know, whatever, whatever, the, whatever the case might be, we, we daily come to these places where, where, we, where we're not sure where to go or which way to turn. And yet we can believe that into that place, God comes. He, he comes. As we recognize him in the pots and the pans and whatever else, other circumstances, he comes and he intervenes and he, and he interrupts. And he transforms. 
and he makes things new. But the, the promise of the scripture is not only that he comes to, to transform, but he comes making a new way forward. He comes to, to not only kind of help us and to fix us and to, to, to kind of transform and make something new, but then he, he also comes to, to provide a, a new direction, a new path, or as it's referred to in this portion of scripture there, especially in, in verse 8, a highway. He makes a new road. A new highway for, for those who have been transformed by the, by the coming presence of God in Jesus, who have been transformed through his, his coming into our lives, to now step into a new way to walk. I was driving, I've been driving, you know, on the 101 over the last few weeks, and again, finally this morning, going downtown and back and noticing that we're getting some new pavement on, the, on that road, and it, I, I I didn't really notice it at first, and I was like, man, this ride is smooth. This is good. This is nice. And, and a new road is being, is being made for us to enjoy. But, but what God is talking about here is that a new, a new road for those who are following him, who have been transformed him and by him, a new way forward. It's a way of holiness, calls it right there, Isaiah does, a highway of holiness. This is a place where those who are following after God are are, are, are called to step onto, to live in new ways and in new directions, to be set apart for him, to live in, in, in ways that are pleasing and glorifying to him, without a doubt. It's a way of, of security. He, he says that there will not be, no lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. This is a, is a way that God is making for those who've been transformed by his presence and his grace to move in safety and security and confidence in him. Can we walk on this highway? And finally, it's a way of gladness and joy that we can know as we follow after him. This, this, this God who comes, and, and we sang it well, Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us. It's the two-step process that I think Isaiah is speaking of here as well. He comes to us, God with us, <clears throat> to transform us, and God revealed in us then to, to, to change the world around us as we walk on that highway of holiness, that, that way forward that he is leading us into. And this is where it ties in a little bit to the Advent conspiracy. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. This, uh, we, we talked the first week about how we want to make this season of Advent a time when we worship God fully. Not let anything else distract us, but, but if we just start there by worshiping God fully during this season, then we know that that'll be, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Seeking his kingdom and his way first. And so we talked about the importance of that. Then last week we shifted gears and we surprised some of you and I'm glad you came back. But we talked about spending less. We talked about how the importance of, of spending less and recognizing <clears throat> the need to be the good steward of what, of what God has given us. And, and not to not spend anything at all by any means, but to, but to spend less and as a means of doing that to reflect on and to be intentional about the things that we are purchasing at Christmas time and the amounts that we are spending. But the real, the real flip side to spend less is what I want to talk about just for a moment today, and that is to give more. We really spend less, and yet, at the same time, we want to give more. And some of you are kind of confused at this point because 
saying if I need to give more, then I need to spend more, James. That's kind of how <clears throat> it works. Well, let, let's think about it just for a moment because we can, we can begin to think about how perhaps as we've been transformed and as we're now living on this new, this new way forward with God, then, then our giving can begin to take different shapes as well. Our, our giving can begin to take a new form, a new direction. And, and the, the, the thing that can guide us in this primarily and, and most effectively is to think about how much we and how we have been given to by God. Right? When we recognize that this God who comes, comes to change us, he sent his son Jesus to transform us, he comes to invite us to a new way, then we begin to get some sense as well as to how we are to follow in his pattern by giving in ways that he gave to us. Think about even just his simple and, and yet so powerful and, and beautiful and not simple at all, the gift of his son Jesus Christ and the things that we can, we can pick up from, from that giving. We know that, we know that he, he gave and so be, in, in ways that, that were relational. He, he didn't give of, of stuff. He gave of his son. He gave of a person. And so perhaps as we give, we are to think about giving more of ourselves, more of our time. Think about Greg's line here about going to the nutcracker or standing in line uh, to buy gifts. And we've all been guilty, perhaps, of getting so consumed with standing in line or rushing around that we, that we miss maybe the moments that we have to cherish with, with the loved ones around us. And so I'd encourage you to think about ways that you can give relationally this Christmas season. Maybe, uh, I think we talked about this maybe last year, but some examples from the Advent Conspiracies. Maybe you give some, some coffee, but you add a little note and says, you know, I, you have to drink this with me, you know. And so, so we'll spend some time just sharing together our lives as well. Or, or maybe tickets to an event, and you say, you've got to take me to it, you know. And so we're going to go somewhere together. We're going to spend time in relationship. The, the second thing that, that they talk about is this idea that, that when God gave Jesus, he did, it wasn't just something that was outside of him, but it was a very part of who he was, and so to give gifts that are personal. And so we want to give gifts and, and think about, as we give gifts, things that, that are meaningful, not just kind of random, or the thing that is hot for this season, or the first thing I see on the shelf that's under $10, you know, or this, whatever it might be, but to give gifts, especially, you know, to those that, that are around us that we know and that we love well, to, to give gifts that are personal, things that might be meaningful. Uh, an example was uh, a son, a father who gave his daughter a journal, and he gave himself one as well, and it might sound pretty impersonal, just a book of blank pages of paper, but he said, now you, you take this and I'll take mine and let's write in it this year. Let's come back next year and let's share together some of the things that we've written and about this journey that we've been on in, in this year. So maybe there's some, some personal ways that we can think about giving gifts. And then the last one is just that God, when he did give of his son, he gave in a, in a very costly fashion. He gave uh, in a way that, that cost him the very life of his son. And so while we might be talking about spending less financially, we can definitely be still talking about giving in ways that cost us something, that cost us some, some time, that cost us some energy. You know, the reality is the thing that this will cost me the most and may cost you the most is the moments to stop and to, to think about it and to try to be creative in the gift giving that you're doing and to, 
to move beyond just the, the things that would be easier, that the culture of society would teach us to, to, to kind of give. But to stop and, and, and in a really costly fashion, give the time to think about how I can give more in, in this way. Well, um, there's, a, uh, there's a little story that I read to my kids every, uh, every Christmas. And Kyla bought this for us a few years ago. And I think that this story just really beautifully illustrates everything that I've said over the last few moments. And I want to read it to you today. And uh, yeah, there may be some chuckling going on. And this book is called All is Well. And uh, I've got, we scanned the pictures so you can see them up here. So I won't have to like, you know, do this number. But um, I read it to them and here's the reality. I think that they're starting to understand this book. But this book, I think, is written for adults. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Pixar. You know, it's, 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 they make their movies for kids. Right. Yeah, it's for, it's for adults. And, um, and I think this is for adults. And when I told uh, Thomas that I was going to read this today, he said, oh, Dad. I said, what? And he goes, are you going to cry? <laughs> Let's do it. So I can't guarantee. <clears throat> what might happen as I read this story. All is well, because God entered our world as a child born in a manger. All is well. We all know that. Well, sort of. I mean, all is well would make a nice plaque on the wall or a nice greeting. It's kind of like, God is good, or in all things give thanks. But all is well? Do we always see it that way? At Christmas time, we act like we believe it, but all too often, as far as we can see, nothing is well. I guess it depends on where you're standing and how good the view is from there. That's how it was for Ruth Preston and her little daughter, Jenny. It was July. No snow, no tinsel, nothing but the real world, no matter where you looked. It had been almost two years since the divorce, and Ruth and Jenny's last Christmas had been a flop. Ruth still didn't want to think about Christmas or anything connected with it. Nothing, that is, except that little phrase, all is well. She had first heard the phrase at Christmas time many years ago, and for some reason it had stuck in her memory. Now she held on to that phrase. She needed something to keep their spirits up to keep their hopes alive. Mom, didn't you buy any Cheerios? Asked Jenny as her mother returned from the grocery store. No, said Ruth, but look at it this way. We saved money and I didn't have to carry as much stuff home. I didn't have to carry Cheerios or ice cream or popcorn or cocoa or dish soap either. Just feel how light this grocery bag is. Yeah. Nice and light and easy to carry, said Jenny, trying to go along with her mom. So all is well, right? Ruth asked her daughter. All is well, Jenny answered, barely above a whisper. I think I heard an answer, Ruth said, holding her hand to her ear. All is well, Jenny responded with lively determination. That's the stuff. It won't be long now before I'll be getting a raise at work. What does that mean? It means things are going to be better. Ruth tried to sound hopeful, 
Then you can go back to nursing school? Asked Jenny. Well, no, I still have to work to pay the bills. Besides, I don't need that old nursing school anyway. I could work, Jenny offered, eager to help out. Thanks, but you're too little. I could sell stuff. Honey, we've already sold everything that isn't nailed down. But mom, we gotta have faith, remember? That's what I've always said, Ruth agreed. So can I? Jenny asked. But her mother was thinking about other things. Did we get any mail? Ruth wanted to know. I put it on your dresser, said Jenny. Ruth hoped that perhaps there would be a child support check today from Jenny's dad. No, not today. Ruth opened the envelope and frowned. What is it, Mom? It's, well, it's a letter from our landlord. Is he mad? Oh, he's, well, we'll make it. Ruth's words were as much to convince herself as they were to encourage Jenny. All is well, said Jenny. All is well. Ruth repeated with more hope than she felt. So can I, Jenny pleaded. Can you what, asked her mother. Sell stuff. Ruth said yes. Early on Saturday, the neighbors could hear the rumble and squeak of Jenny's wagon as she went from house to house. Timidly, she knocked at every door. Hi, I'm Jenny Preston. I'm buying and selling stuff. Abby Duvall, the plumber's wife, was still in her bathrobe. She hadn't had her coffee, and now the light of day was making her squint. What are you selling? Looks like junk. It's good junk. Look at this. A coffee can? You can keep things in it. Look, it's so shiny on the bottom, you can see yourself in it. Mrs. Duval laughed. I don't need any more empty cans around here. I've got an egg carton for keeping jewelry or buttons or small things, said Jenny. No, said Mrs. Duval. Jenny opened a small box full of mismatched, tangled, old and new, from here and there, sparkly surprises. How about some Christmas ornaments? In July? Buy them now, use them later. Mrs. Duval did take a moment to paw through the box, but she finally shook her curlered head. No, nah, I don't need to be thinking about Christmas. I've got enough problems. Don't you like Christmas? Some need it, some don't. Hey, did you say you're buying stuff too? Yes, ma'am. Well, hang on. Mrs. Duval left Jenny standing at the door. When she came back, she had what looked like a wooden candlestick. Or maybe it was a spindle or table leg or... I got this at a white elephant party. I'll take a dollar for it. <laughs> Jenny bit her lip. Well, I haven't sold anything yet. Maybe after I sell something, I can come back. Mrs. Duval laughed. Here, maybe you can get a dollar for it. Wow, thanks. Good luck. The rest of the morning didn't go much better. Junk seemed to be something everybody had plenty of and no one needed to buy. And everybody said amen. <laughs> God, you just got to help me sell something. I don't want mom to be sad, Jenny prayed. Honk, honk. It was Mr. Patrick in his old red truck. Jenny waved hello because Mr. Patrick always waved back. This time he pulled to a stop and rolled down his window. Hi there, Jenny. Hi, Mr. Patrick. Mr. Patrick had white frizzy hair and a round red nose. He would have made a good Santa Claus. He liked kids too. He'd always let Jenny and her friends cross his yard to get to the woods. What do you have there in the wagon? I'm buying and selling special things today. Want to take a look? Mr. Patrick parked his truck and got out. He was dirty. He'd been digging ditches for the county again. 
I've got a shiny coffee can and a nice egg carton. What's this thing here? Well, Mom used to open jars with it, but it's broken. Yes, sir, I know. But you can scratch your back with it like, like this, see? Jenny showed Mr. Patrick just how it would work. Very clever. But what's in the box? Oh, that's Christmas stuff. I guess it's the wrong time of the year. Nobody wants to buy it. Eh, let me see it. Jenny opened the box, and the sunlight danced across the silver and gold sparkles. Mr. Patrick carefully picked up each piece, a toy soldier, a teddy bear, a silver star. He must have seen something that touched his heart. Jenny could see it in his face. I'll give you $10 for the whole box, said Mr. Patrick. Jenny couldn't even talk. Her eyes and mouth were wide open. Mr. Patrick pulled out a crinkled bill and put it in Jenny's hand. Merry Christmas. $10. Wait till I show Mom. To Jenny, $10 seemed like a fortune, but her mom knew it wouldn't go very far towards paying the overdue bills. It wouldn't fill the empty cupboards or pay the rent either. Oh, Jenny, that's just wonderful. Ruth tried to sound cheerful, but her eyes were red, and Jenny knew she'd been crying. What's the matter, Mom? Oh, nothing. Nothing. We're doing great, and you're really being helpful. $10. Wow. So, all is well? You bet, Jenny. All is well. But Jenny couldn't feel good. She could only stare at her mother's sad face. Mom, tell me how come. How come what? How come all is well? Well, Ruth sighed and rested her elbows on the desk. Jenny, it just is. We just believe that. We have to believe that. But you always used to tell me how come every Christmas, remember? Well, of course I remember, Jenny told herself, or Ruth told herself. It was because it was just that, well, she'd had so much on her mind lately, and it was a long time ago, and truthfully, Ruth didn't remember. She just sat there and couldn't say a word, and she could feel the blood drain from her face. And Jenny must have seen it because she reached and touched her mother's hand. Mom, she said, then stopped suddenly. Jenny had remembered something. Oh, no, she gasped. Quickly, Jenny turned and ran out the door. Jenny, where? Don't. Jenny. Too late. Jenny was gone, not looking back. And Ruth felt terrible. There was something Jenny had to find. First, she looked in the storage shed out back. Then she went through the boxes left over from the yard sale. She even pawed through some of the trash, but she couldn't find it. It must have been in the box she sold to Mr. Pat. Jenny grabbed her wagon and pulled it down the street, clickety-clack, to Mr. Patrick's house. The pleasant old man came to the door as soon as Jenny knocked. Mr. Patrick, please, I need to buy back one of those Christmas things. It was a little dangly thing on a string, and it had glittery letters on it. Oh, the little clay one. That's it. Oh, Jenny, I'm sorry. I don't have that anymore. I gave it to Mrs. Perringer. She, well, she's been having some rough times lately, and I thought it might encourage her a bit. Mrs. Perringer? That greenhouse over there with the rail fence. Jenny ran to Mrs. Perringer's house, pulling the wagon behind her. Mrs. Perringer, I need to buy something back. It's a little dangling thing on a string. It's made of clay. And Mrs. Perringer had the most peaceful smile on her face. Mmm, I know the one you're talking about. Sweetheart, I don't have it anymore. I thought it might be a blessing to the Buxtons, so I gave it to them. 
And Jenny ran to the Buxtons. They'd given it to the Dasowskis. And Jenny went to the Dasowskis, then the Jones, and then the Seversons, up and down the street. She went. And finally, she came to John Ketchum's house. Mr. Ketchum, I'm Jenny Preston from up the street, and I need to buy something back. I don't have any money, but here, you can have this coffee thing, can that you can put things in, and you can have this egg carton that's good for buttons and small things, and this wooden thing that I don't know what it is, and this back scratcher. You can have my wagon. Just please, I've got to have that little clay thing back. Jenny had been gone for almost two hours, and Ruth wanted to go find her. But then they'd be alone, just the two of them in their little apartment with the bare walls and peeling paint. Jenny's eyes would be asking the same question that Ruth had lost the answer for. Mom, how come all is well? And what could she tell her? Just the same old thing, all is well. Don't worry, keep your chin up, kid, all is well. Oh God, if you've given up on us, if you don't care about us anymore, then let me know right now because I can't go on acting like you do care. Well, Ruth didn't even hear Jenny come in. Mom, Jenny's cheeks were red from running. Mom, I got it back. It was a little clay Christmas ornament. Ruth took it, turned it over a few times, and memories came flooding back. Jenny, where did you find this? It was in a box with some other Christmas stuff. I accidentally sold it to Mr. Patrick, but he gave it to Mrs. Perringer. Then she gave it to the Buxtons. And Jenny had to name every stop she'd made all around the neighborhood. And then Mr. Ketchum just gave it back to me and even let me keep my wagon. Now do you remember, Mom? Ruth remembered. Jenny made this ornament when she was five. It was misshapen. The painted colors were faded, but the message was clear. On one side were those words. All is well. And on the other side was the reason. For unto us, a child is born. A sudden gleam of hope filled Ruth's face, and Jenny could see it. All is well. Come on. Ruth closed her hands around that little lump of clay and held on. All is well, Jenny. We just can't see it yet. But some way, somehow, all is well. Well, when you're the storyteller, you know things the people in your story don't know. I know why all those neighbors were passing that ornament around. They were buying it from each other to raise money for the Prestons. It was Mr. Patrick's idea, and tomorrow they'll take the money to the Prestons and holler, Merry Christmas in July. So I know Ruth and Jenny will be taken care of, and I know that eventually Ruth will finish nursing school, and I know that things won't be easy, but they'll make it. Ruth knows it too. No one has told her, and she can't see any of it yet, but now that she remembers how come all is well, she knows, and she'll tell Jenny once again, that God is the grand storyteller of our lives. And she'll tell her that in a stable in Bethlehem so long ago, God wrote himself into history. 
And now he walks with us in the midst of the story. And he'll stay with us until that story is completed. His way, in his time, for his glory. And that's how come all is well. Remember? Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you revealed the character of our Father in heaven who just comes, just keeps coming. And to us, in the midst of wherever we find ourselves today, that we can remember that all is well because you came as a baby and you come to us right now. Thank you that you come to change us. That nothing that is skewed or deathly need remain that way. That you came to make all things new and you come to make all things new. And thank you that you come calling us to a new road, a new path, a new way forward where we can become those who have received so fully and in turn are giving so freely of all that we have and of all that we are. Thank you that though we can't see it yet, perhaps, all is well. God, we celebrate you, the God who comes, and now you're the God who sends. And you send us into the world to be your hands and feet. In fact, God, you, you may want to come to somebody this very day or this week through us. So may we recognize our part in the story that you're telling. And may we receive of you and receive the blessing that you bring that we might be a blessing and the very presence of God in the world in which we live. So send us here with your strength, with your encouragement, and with your joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.